have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. Are you interested in non-monogamous relationships? Are you curious about the best ways to navigate your first steps into the sexy world of non-monogamy? Join me today with Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships and author of the book, Building Open Relationships. We're going to explore different kinds of non-monogamy, how to develop and maintain healthy non-monogamy with your partner or partners, and the best communication tips to help prevent and resolve potential conflict. But before we kick off our discussion today with Dr. Liz about non-monogamy, I want to thank our sponsor, SCC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you'll get access to a massive international network and dating platform of over 3 million members worldwide. We have a unique edition of Seek, Discover, Create for you today. Joining me, Lexi Silver, is my special guest, Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships. And she is also the author of the book, Building Open Relationships, which we'll tell you a little bit more about later. Mm-hmm. She's, <laughs> she's known for her sex-positive teachings and LGBTQ plus and kink-friendly therapy practices. And she believes that great sex can change the world. Who doesn't believe that? If you don't believe that, you need to be listening to the show a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lexi. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Oh, me too. All right, so let's get it going. Let's talk. I know a lot of people on SDC are there because they're interested already in non-monogamy, and they want to know a little bit more about how to navigate the waters in a, in a safe way, in a healthy way. Um, and even you know, people who haven't yet started a relationship are looking to see how they can maybe uh, enter non-monogamy with their partner or potential partner partners. Right. So there's so many terms that tend to get misused and thrown around. And I think the first starting off point for this conversation should be, let's get to uh, some of those definitions. What's the difference between non-monogamy, open relationships, swinging, monogamish, and polyamorous relationships? So non-monogamy is like an umbrella term to describe any relationship that is not monogamous. So that includes kind of any other form of of non-monogamy that we look at. Uh, Swingers tend to be people who approach non-monogamy in a couple-centric way. So often they have one partner with whom they are married or they share living space or they have children and they as a couple look out to find other sexual partners. Sometimes swingers will play with other people individually, sometimes they won't. Sometimes there are certain sexual acts that they will or won't participate in, but it's still focused on a couple-centric version, where the couple is the unit that is engaging in the activity. People who are monogamish, it's a term coined by Dan Savage. The way that he uses it is that you understand that over the lifetime of a monogamous relationship, everyone is probably going to cheat at one point or another. So you acknowledge that at some point there is going to be sex outside of that commitment. Mm-hmm. Some people are using monogamous these days to indicate that they have a primarily emotionally and socially monogamous relationship, but sexually they are occasionally non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. And that could be anything as little as like making out with friends or having cuddle dates to occasionally having penetrative sex or oral sex with other people. 
People who are polyamorous, there's a whole <laughs> range of folks within polyamory as well. So polyamory refers to people who have multiple loving relationships with the full knowledge and consent of everyone involved. So people can practice what's called hierarchical polyamory. Hierarchical polyamory is in some ways similar to swinging in that in hierarchical polyamory, people have a primary partner or one or more primary partners. And those people have um, more preference and often more power than those who are at lower levels, like secondary or tertiary levels. Um, generally, people will only cohabitate with primary partners, would generally only have children uh, or share finances with primary partners. Egalitarian polyamory or non-hierarchical polyamory is a form of polyamory where you don't have strict levels between like who's primary and secondary and tertiary. I think there's often a misconception that this means that everybody is treated exactly the same. You see everybody exactly the same number of times. Everybody has exactly the same things that they do in your life. <laughs> I think that's inaccurate. The idea behind egalitarian polyamory is that there isn't any kind of enforced power structure. You, of course, are going to have preferences. Of course, there are going to be people you do want to be more serious with, people you want to be less serious with. The idea is that the people with whom you are more serious don't get to tell you who you can or cannot be more serious with. There's also solo polyamory, which is what I often identify as myself. Okay. Solo polyamory is a version of polyamory that is practiced at the individual unit. So people who are solo poly are people who center autonomy in the way that they practice non-monogamy. So the way that I think about it is nobody gets to tell me what I do with my body, my heart, my mind, or my time. And I don't want to ever feel like I'm having to control or tell my partners what to do with their body, their heart, their mind, or their time. This doesn't mean that you can like just go out willy-nilly and have sex with everybody without condoms and there's never <laughs> any consequences and everything's fine. But it does mean that my partner gets to make decisions about themselves and then I decide what I'm going to do about that in reaction. There's also relationship anarchy. So the same way that like in the realm of religions, Buddhism is kind of a philosophy that can coexist with other religions. Relationship anarchy is a theoretical and ethical approach to non-monogamy that can happen in any kind of actual relationship configuration. You could be monogamous and come from a relationship anarchy perspective. Hmm. Relationship anarchy basically states that you allow each relationship to find its own level. Hmm. So there's nothing about your other relationships that tells you what can or can't happen in your other relationships. And a lot of people who are relationship anarchists also don't believe in like distinctions between friends and partners. They just view emotional closeness as emotional closeness, sexual closeness as sexual closeness, intimacy as intimacy. And so their labels tend to look slightly different and their arrangements look slightly different. Um, and the reason I say you can be monogamous and do that is if you genuinely only want to have a sexual relationship with one person, you can do that in relationship anarchy. If you genuinely only want to have a romantic relationship with one person, you can do that in relationship anarchy. The idea is that there's not some system saying you don't get to do it with other people. So there's still an opening if something else evolves in the future. So relationship anarchy sounds super fluid. Like there are so many different things that you can try and you're really not bound by labels, which is something I, I think we're going to maybe talk a little bit about later, how yeah. some people call themselves, for example, swingers, but maybe they orient themselves more with a, a, a relationship anarchy perspective and they're maybe falling in a couple of different categories de depending on the situation or the partner or whatever. So yeah, it's a, I, I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, when it comes down totally. to non-monogamy. Well, I think there's also a lot of ways that we choose labels based upon the social groups we want to align ourselves with. 
So like for my sexual orientation, I identify as bisexual and queer. I identify as bi because stop telling me that I should identify as pan. Like, <laughs> and it's a misconception that bi folks only like cisgender people, mm-hmm. right? And so I have like a, a way of aggressively identifying with bisexuals and working to end biphobia and bi erasure. Mm-hmm. But I also identify as queer because my sexuality is remarkably fluid, as is my gender, right? So when people align themselves with swingers, what they're often doing is saying, this community feels like the community that I like and that I feel at home in. It doesn't necessarily dictate then how they're going to behave. Uh, I know several people, I used to be on the Life on the Swing Set podcast, and the people who started that podcast when they started were completely swingers, and then they evolved into also doing some polyamory and having more significant relationships. And so I think that there are ways that we choose labels based on communities. Um, for instance, I don't tend to identify as a relationship anarchist, even though it's a lot of how I do my, my relationships, because the early relationship anarchists who I met were all jerks. <laughs> they were what I like to think of as relationship libertarians. Their approach was, your feelings are yours, that's yours to deal with, that's not my problem, which technically, yes, everyone's feelings are their own to deal with, and part of a relationship is that we care about what our partner is going through, right? So I think that there's definitely a large social component to how people end up identifying. And I also think that there's some some fear and some worry. If you're listening to all of these different things and you're coming from a monogamous background, the ones that are closest to monogamy are going to sound the easiest. They're going to sound like the less scary, particularly if you already have a partner who you love and who you identify with as like a primary or nesting partner. It can seem really scary to open up to the idea of them falling in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it can be easier at first to say, well, we're not going to do that love stuff. We're just going to do the sex stuff. <laughs> and for some people that works long term, for others it doesn't. So I think what I would encourage people to the most is just being open to what does and doesn't fit for them. And it may be different than you think. Hmm. Okay, that's a very good point. That's definitely a different perspective than uh, what you normally hear when you start talking about non-monogamy, because you're also leaving room open to kind of, uh, I don't want to say use the labels as you want, but to, I guess, apply the labels in a way that makes sense for you in the social group that you are identifying with at that time, for sure. And I think, too, that something that a lot of us don't do well, because we're not used to it, but that people often do Um, more effectively in queer communities is ask people what their labels mean to them. Mm. So if someone tells you they're a swinger, you can ask them like, what does that mean for you? Like, what does that look like? What kinds of things are on your menu? What things are off your menu? Because that'll give you a much better idea of where they're at than just the single label of swinger. Yeah, definitely. So how do people go from monogamous relationships or that monogamous way of thinking into non-monogamy? How does that happen? It's, it's a big challenge. I got to be honest. Um, <laughs> I have a whole section in my book about unlearning the monogamy mindset. Okay. Most of us in our culture upbringing, we're taught this fairy tale idea of love, that you're going to meet someone, they're going to be the one, they're going to perfectly understand you, you're going to love them forever, and then your relationship will end in death. <laughs> the thing is, I've had that monogamy perfect relationship. I met a dude who was fantastic. We were super into each other, and then he died. And that's not magic. I'm sorry. He just yeah. died young, right? And I think what we believe from monogamy is that our specialness is about who our partner has sex with. It's about exclusivity, mm-hmm. that our specialness and our importance to them is defined by what they don't do with others. 
And a lot of moving into non-monogamy is about unlearning those messages. Mm-hmm. It's about addressing our own fears and worries and insecurities and figuring out what does make us special. I think that almost everyone I know in the non-monogamy world has at least once had the experience where their partner starts dating someone who they think is more attractive than they are, right? So like my partner, my partner last year started dating this person who was a friend of mine and she's one of those typical, like really skinny, really pretty people. And I'm curvy, which is also sexy, but like not societally recognized as being as sexy. And a part of my brain told me she's prettier than you. And that's why he wants her. And he's going to totally not want to be with you as much because she's so much prettier than you are. And all of us have this garbage that we've been fed by culture and society over and over about why we're not good enough, why we're not right, why we're never going to be loved, why no one's ever going to care about us. And in monogamy, it feels easier because you kind of like lock one person down and then you don't have to worry about it, right? Theoretically. Yeah. (laughs) Half of relationships have cheating and half of marriages end in divorce, right? The theory is if you just lock it down, you never have to worry about that again. Mm -hmm. And so non-monogamy forces you to really examine and identify all of these beliefs you have about who you are, what makes you special, and why someone would be with you. And it's a tough, tough journey. Whether you're doing it coming from an established relationship or you're starting it as an individual, it's a hard process. And there's a lot of places along the way where you're probably going to stumble. I think we do each other a disservice when we expect people new to non-monogamy to be perfect at it. And I think that those of us who are in non-monogamous communities need to be more mindful of when we have the resources internally to support people who are newer to non-monogamy versus when we don't. Because I think a lot of folks end up dating someone who's new to non-monogamy and then they get frustrated and upset with the ways that they don't do things the way that you would expect yet. Mm -hmm. But that's, whenever anyone is learning something new, you would expect it's going to take them time to relearn it. Of course. Well, yeah, and those are those are really good points, and that also shows the potential kinds of conflict that can happen uh, with two individuals or more individuals who are at different levels of their experience with non-monogamy, or you know, come from different non-monogamous backgrounds, who have different ideas about what non-monogamy is or should look like. If I'm dating someone who practices hierarchical polyamory, and I'm someone who is like solo poly, sort of relationship anarchist, and I don't believe in other people having a say in my relationship who aren't in that relationship, I'm going to get really upset if their primary partner starts saying what limits are going to be for our relationship. Oh, for because sure. to me, that doesn't feel like how I want to do non-monogamy. But they get to choose what style that they're doing. I think what we have to focus on when we talk about this journey from mainstream relationships into non-monogamous relationships is how can we focus on being as ethical as possible and as good to as many people we encounter as possible? Because you're going to fuck up. There's, there's not a question <laughs> of like, am I going to mess up when I do this? I still mess up all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for years. We all do. Stop messing up. Yeah. What matters is how you clean it up. And what matters is how much thought you put into it beforehand. So yeah. when we talk about ethics and non-monogamy, The biggest points that I would hammer home, uh, they're covered in the book more than two, are don't treat people as things, and the people in the relationship are more important than the relationship. I think the monogamous mindset feeds us this idea that you should suffer as much as you need to because relationships are about sacrifice, and as long as you keep the relationship going, especially if you're socialized as a woman, then everything is fine. 
And we learn to like sacrifice ourselves in relationships in ways that aren't necessarily healthy or helpful. When you embrace that the people in the relationship are more important than the relationship, it gives you the freedom to say, these are the elements of this relationship that aren't working for me. How do we shift that or change that? Or how do we decide what relationship could work given who we both are and where we both are in our journeys? And I, the most common question I hear is like, how does a couple open up? And it's a, it's a common question because I think a lot of people who enter the non-monogamous world enter with an existing partner. The challenge is that when you frame it as we are opening our relationship to other people, you're entrenching what we call couple privilege in the way that you're going to approach things. So couple privilege, uh, you know, privilege as a general term talks about the way that society gives benefits to people uh, in ways that it does not give benefits to others. So for me, as someone who is unmarried and does not have a current significant partner, uh, if I'm invited to a party and I get a plus one, like, who's my plus one going to be? I don't freaking know. Uh, or <laughs> when I'm going to a thing with all my friends and they're all bringing their partners and I'm the single person, I'm looked at very differently. When I go out to dinner by myself, I always get to look like, what? <laughs> there are ways in which you are expected to be partnered in our society and you're expected to be partnered monogamously and so there is a certain degree of benefit that is given to people who are in what is perceived as a significant on the relationship escalator committed relationship when you enter non-monogamy from that perspective of we are more important than everyone else uh, particularly we see a lot of this with like unicorn hunters. So unicorn <laughs> hunters are couples who come into non-monogamous spaces. It's almost always a heterosexual couple and they have decided that they want to find a woman to add to their marriage to complete them is mm -hmm. often the language that is used. And usually they have spent a lot of time and energy thinking about what this relationship is going to look like without ever talking to any of the people who might be in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So they have already set the terms of the relationship without the input of one of the people who's going to be in it. That's what we're looking at when we're talking about couple privilege. The ways in which people in one relationship make decisions about other relationships that those other people don't get a say in. In general, the people who have the most say in any given relationship should be the people in that relationship. And so when you open up your relationship, really what you're doing is ending the relationship you had and beginning an entirely new one. The relationship that you had was based on a whole lot of precepts and ideas and beliefs that you're no longer following. Those rules are gone. Mm -hmm. And that means that you kind of have to start over, which sounds so scary and sounds <laughs> terrible. It can actually be an amazing opportunity. You know, I'm a therapist. A lot of clients come to me when things in their life have fallen apart. And I tell them, if we think about these these things in your life as building blocks that were built up in a tower, yes, your tower got knocked down, and that sucks. But now you get to decide which blocks go in the tower that you're building again. Where are they going to go? How strong are they going to be? What are you going to add? What are you going to take away? It gives you the freedom to create a life that fits you better. Because most of us, the towers we have that topple 
contain a lot of blocks that we just took on because we were told we had to. There are a lot of couples who do not re- like who are interested in opening up, let's say, their relationship and are not considering the feelings of other people who are who should be uh, considered when they are involved in a relationship. Definitely. And moving, like you said, from a from a monogamous concept um, and also the idea that two, the two people who are originally involved in the relationship um, are the, I guess, authority on what should and should not be. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's definitely showing a lot of potential dysfunction that could occur in that in that setup. And we're going to definitely go into that a little bit in the next segment for sure, uh, because there's a lot of in, really important information to cover there uh, to help you know all of you who are listening avoid those kinds of relationship mishaps and uh, and pitfalls. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, just before we take our little break, don't go away. I'm Lexi Silver, listening to Seek Discover create from SDC and if you're enjoying my show and this amazing conversation with Dr. Liz Powell and you want to learn more about relationship sex and health and find new ways to spice up your sex life check out sdc.com we'll guide you on your erotic journey with unlimited access to videos podcasts and articles from experts like Dr. Jess Sunny Megatron and Charlie and Ariane Williams visit sdc.com to discover your own erotic tribe and explore more at sdc events parties and travel destinations with hot and fresh content added daily you'll have tons of resources to start your exploration and continue along your path to self discovery Join over 3 million of our SDC members worldwide to seek, discover, and create with us today. Don't forget to use promo code 7070 for two months of free access to SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. We'll be right back with Seek, Discover, Create. You're listening to the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to lexi at sdc.com. That's L-E-X-I at sdc.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Welcome back to SDC Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships, and author of the book, Building Open Relationships. We just had a really great conversation about the beginnings of non-monogamy and some of the different ways in which you can explore non-monogamy, whether by yourself or with your partner, and uh, the idea of couple privilege as uh, being um, a potential issue. Uh, when opening up your relationship to other individuals and not considering them and in the relationship structure that should be. If a monogamous couple decides they want to lean toward non- non-monogamy, how can they start to talk to each other about it first before they start to involve other people? Uh, 
That is such a good question. So in my book, I have a, a series of different worksheets that cover different problems or issues you might come up against when you're doing non-monogamy. And those worksheets are all free to download at buildingopenrelationships.com. I have one that talks about the benefits of non-monogamy. So something that is a general principle is that when you approach someone for a conversation and present it as a problem, their, their body and their brain are going to respond to it as if it is already a problem. Mm-hmm. So if I come to you and I say, honey, I, this is going to be really hard. I, uh, I just have something I need to talk to you about. It's um, I'm really hoping that you're still with me after this. Like already, their brain is freaked out. <laughs> right? That's what it is, right? And so I think that the way that we frame these conversations is a big part of it. If you've been thinking about exploring non-monogamy, bring it to your partner like something that is interesting and fun to talk about, right? Bring it to them like, hey, I had this really interesting idea the other day, and I thought maybe we could chat about it a little bit. I've been reading all this stuff online about people who, um, like, they, they see other people and, like, they're kind of non-monogamous, and, like, I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Bring it up as a discussion, something interesting to talk about, right? Because if you talk about it first, that'll give you a good idea about where they're at about it. Mm-hmm. And it'll let you know how open versus close to the topic they're going to be. Jumping right into a conversation with, honey, I have thought long and hard about this and I need to be non-monogamous. <laughs> that's that's going to be a much tougher sell, right? Because part of a relationship is that we involve each other in our inner worlds, I think one of the biggest things that folks struggle with in relationship is understanding that their partner's desire to know what's going on with them isn't about intrusion or control. Mm -hmm. It's about feeling included and intimate. And so if you've spent all of this time and energy thinking and pondering this thing that is a really big life-changing decision and your partner is getting looped in at the end of that process, they're going to feel much more left out than if you come to them with, hey, this is just an idea. I've kind of been seeing around the internet. I know some other people who are doing it. Would you ever do that? Like, what do you think about that? And opening it as a general topic of conversation. If you are already at the point that you know you want to be non-monogamous and you're in a monogamous partnership, it's going to be a more challenging conversation and you're going to have to make tough decisions about what is more, most important to you. For some of us, we get to a point where No matter how much we love our partner, if they aren't going to be able to be non-monogamous with us, then we can't continue in that relationship. That is a perfectly valid decision. Right. For other people, they're at a point where they're willing to take things relatively slowly uh, and progress relatively slowly in order to allow their partner some time to adjust and try things out with them. The one thing I want to warn against is a lot of people talk about like experimenting with non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. It's not like experimenting with hair dye. You can't just go to the salon and get it dyed over, right? The things that you're experimenting with are people. Mm-hmm. And so if you are someone who is entering the world of non-monogamy and you're not certain yet where you're going to end up, be very clear about that with the pers- people you interact with. I think a lot of folks don't want to be upfront about that because they're worried you're not going to get as many dates. And like, not going to lie, it is going to be harder for you. because. Definitely. What you're asking people to do is volunteer to be potentially disposable. You're asking them to say, I'm going to open myself to you and engage with you with the full knowledge that any day you might cut it off because you've decided this isn't what you want. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, that's the case in all relationships. But in most relationships, we end them because there's been something in the relationship that isn't working. And most often, both partners are noticing that. Mm -hmm. So it's something that both people are kind of aware of and on top of and, and paying attention to. 
versus this kind of thing might be you're very happy in this other relationship and your partner has decided absolutely no, not non-monogamy, and you've decided to stay with that partner. Mm-hmm. So there are more factors that are coming into play about how those other folks get treated. So what does happen if, in the case that, let's say, you do come to your partner and you have this great conversation about whether or not, you know, they might be interested in, in this idea of non-monogamy, and the other partner is like, absolutely not, I don't want to share you, I don't want to share myself, I'm happy the way you are, and the other partner is just really not feeling that that's a possibility for them to continue in a monogamous stream. So how do you manage that? Is it even a manageable and salvageable situation? So there are some people who do what's called monopoly, uh, where one person is monogamous and the other person is polyamorous. And you could theoretically do that with any of the variety of non-monogamous orientations. I'm more familiar with people who do it in a monopoly way. Mm-hmm. The challenge with monopoly is that your monogamous partner has to genuinely be okay with you being non-monogamous. A lot of people think, well, we can just do monopoly. When their partner isn't actually okay mm-hmm. with them being non-monogamous, and I think it, it's very challenging. It's doing relationships on like the extra, extra expert level because <laughs> the person who's going to be the monogamous partner has to have done a lot of work unpacking. You, know, you said a phrase that is such a common one. I don't want to share you. Yeah. I'm not an ice cream cone. <laughs> you don't get to choose what happens to me. Like that's not, you don't own me. I'm not yours to share. Even in context. When we're talking about master and slave, it's still pretend you can still leave at any time. Like there's yeah. not, uh, there's, we don't have a situation anymore where someone literally gets to decide what you do for yourself. But so, again, that's, uh, sorry, that's what you were talking about before when you were talking about conventional or traditional monogamy and those, those models that really don't make sense anymore where, you know, it's the happily ever after, you're with one person, you're together, there's no other possibility. So it's that concept of almost ownership or possession of the other individual who's in, involved okay. in the relationship. So yeah. that's where that that's- idea of not wanting to sharing, uh, not wanting to share comes from yeah and a lot of us within the non-monogamy community talk about those kinds of approaches and beliefs as toxic monogamy Mm. there are lots of ways to be monogamous that are perfectly ethical and fine and that treat everybody else you encounter as fully autonomous human beings and there are ways of doing monogamy that are really problematic Mm -hmm. Uh, so for instance there's a ton of memes there's one where it's a guy and it's as though he's speaking to his partner saying uh why are you smiling at your phone your happiness is over here Right. Right. (laughs) There are, there are people who believe that in relationships, they can tell their partner what gender of friends they can have, what gender of people they can have the phone number of who they can be friends with on Facebook. And that's really problematic. And I think even if you're going to stay monogamous, those kinds of beliefs are over the long term only going to lead to damage and resentment. Anytime someone tells me that I can't be close to someone I want to be close to, Either I'm going to disobey them openly, I'm going to disobey them secretly, or I'm going to resent them for it. It is really hard to find a space where you're okay with a person telling you who you get to interact with out in the world. There are very few people who feel genuinely okay with that. And so those kinds of ideas, the process of coming into non-monogamy and unpacking those ideas is healthier for your monogamy anyway. If you're going to be monopoly, the mono person has an extra ton of work to do. And I think that a lot of these situations 
particularly if it's people who are newer to non-monogamy, the mono person is hoping that the non-monogamous person is going to change. Oh, okay. And I think that this is common across all relationships, that a lot of us get into a relationship based on the potential rather than the reality. Hmm. We have an idea of what this relationship could be if only they X, Y, Z. <laughs> and that's not ever healthy. Right. It's not ever healthy to view your partner as a self-improvement project. And when a monogamous partner has a non-monogamous partner, a lot of times what they're hoping is they'll realize how wonderful this monogamous partner is and not need this, these other people anymore. They're just going to be fine. It's going to be great. And that's not honest either. It is better to break up if you're not a fit for this than to stay with each other and cause each other heartache. So it could happen that people in a relationship, when they're talking about this, could experience that kind of dissonance. So one person wants something and the other is is kind of not really quite there. Maybe they have a different expectation or, uh, you know, desire uh, that is not matching with their partner and they're just not willing to compromise. So, yeah, yeah and it, it happens. I've, I've, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to not compromise. Yeah. I think that there's this message we get that, like, compromise is the heart of all relationships. And to some extent, yes, you can never have a hundred percent of your way in a relationship. Yeah. But in other ways, I think the things that we're compromising on should be relatively small, mm-hmm. not relatively core. The more that something is core to you, the more valuable it is to you, the more deeply it's hitting you, the less likely it is that compromise is going to be good for you. And I think so many of us have worries about losing a relationship because we have fed this idea of scarcity you only get so many people. You know, there's, there's even movies about it. There's a fantastic rom-com called What's Your Number? About oh, yeah, I saw that one, yeah. <laughs> it's an article that if women have more than a certain number of partners, they'll never get married. And so she tries mm-hmm. to, like, hook up with her old partner so she doesn't have to sleep with anyone new and has a chance of getting married. <laughs> and I think that we're all fed this to different degrees and in different ways. The idea that if I lose this partner... It's going to be a huge problem and maybe I'll never find anyone else. You know, I was married monogamously. I got married when I was 23. Ooh. And I was married to someone who I thought was like way too good for me. And as a result, even though our relationship was awful and toxic, I didn't leave it for years because I was worried, what if this is the best there is? What if I leave this relationship and it turns out that this garbage is actually the best that's available to me and there's <laughs> only worse to go from here? What if no one wants to date a 26-year-old divorcee? That way of thinking, I've heard that. I've heard people tell me that, that I'm, I'm, I'm scared. There's nothing, you know, there, there's nothing better out there. And, you know, so they kind of put themselves in this prison of their own making where they just can't, they, they don't want to leave. They're, re- they're very reluctant uh, to move past uh, all of that, even though it would be probably easier for them to start from scratch and then actually be who they genuinely are and want to be. So, well, I think yeah. a lot of us end up in relationships that we built based on lies, not like bad lies, <laughs> but like, of course, honey, I love football. I totally love watching the game with you every weekend. I mean, it's fine that there are ways in which early in relationships, we try to be the person we think our partner wants us to be mm-hmm. rather than the person that we are. And we set up expectations and systems in our relationships that come to bite us in the ass later on. And you have to be yourself. You have to be boldly and unapologetically yourself because otherwise they're not having a relationship with you. They're having a relationship with someone who doesn't exist. 
Ooh, that's a good point. And I want to explore that a bit after uh, this little break, because there are, I know, people who are listening to this who are not yet in a non-monogamous relationship, who are single and who are out there and they're exploring and they want to know how to best venture into that with a new potential partner or new potential partners, plural. So yeah, so everybody stay tuned. We have so much more great information coming your way with Dr. Liz Powell here on Seek, Discover, Create. And I invite all of you to explore your lexuality on my website, LexiSilver.com. For those of you who are just getting to know me, you'll be pleased to find my erotic stories and a variety of kinky sex toys on my site. If you dare to enter my playground, I'll treat you to 15% off anything you desire in my shop when you use promo code LexiSDC. That's L-E-X-I-S-D-C. And don't be shy. Come get lectual with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you. You'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Seek, Discover, Create. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to lexi at sdc.com. That's L-E-X-I at sdc.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Welcome back to SDC Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships, and she's also the author of the book, Building Open Relationships. Mm-hmm. So right before the break, we're having a great conversation and something I wanted to, that was, is a perfect segue into this question that I have is the idea that when people are first entering a relationship, they're not fully honest with what it is that they want and even who they are um, by, by virtue of kind of wanting to make the relationship happen. So if you're, if, if you're, if I'm a single person and I want to get into a non-monogamous relationship and I'm meeting a potential partner or potential partners should I tell them on the first date right off the bat that I'm down for that and only that? How does it work? <laughs> so the advice here varies a lot depending on where you are. Okay. So uh, I, mo- I live in Portland now and in Portland or also in San Francisco where I used to live, it's not at all unusual for people to be non-monogamous. So it's something that you can throw up in your online dating profile. You can throw it out in early messages. Like it's not going to be something that significantly limits your dating pool if you're non-monogamous. And that's probably also the case in like larger cities like New York, um, 
possibly Montreal. I know Toronto has a big scene. Mm -hmm. uh, Vancouver, BC has a big scene. Seattle, Washington. So any of those major metropolitan hubs are going to have a lot of people who are already savvy to and open to non-monogamous relationships. If you're not in one of those places, then you're going to have more of a job selling this to the people you want to be with longer term. In those situations, it's, I can't give like a one size, one size fits all advice, but I would say, think about how you can talk about your desire to be non-monogamous and to date multiple people in a way that they're going to be able to understand that it's going to sound appealing to them. Mm -hmm. So we're back to this, like how you frame the conversation sets a lot of the tone of how they're going to respond. So think really hard about what it is that you like about non-monogamy or what it is you're looking forward to about non-monogamy so that you have those points already prepared when they're like, well, why would anyone ever want that? Isn't one person <laughs> enough? And, you know, for me, a lot of the big points are, you know, I have a really slutty body and a really slutty heart. I just falling in love with people <laughs> or I've fallen out of love with other ones. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I really enjoy getting to meet and play with and fall in love with all of these amazing humans from different places and different backgrounds. And that is such an exciting thing for me. When you present it that way, it's compelling. It gives them something to think about other than, oh, this person's going to always cheat on me. It mm -hmm. lets them know, like, what are the positives they could look forward to as well? Because I think what you're doing when you talk about non-monogamy with someone who hasn't thought about it before is you're you're giving them a window into why this is attractive to you. And this is the same if you're talking to someone about something sexually you wanted to explore that they haven't done before. Right. When you talk about why it's good for you, your excitement, your desire, your turn on, that is all contagious. Present it with that kind of passion and you're much more likely to get a positive response. And there are some things you can look for that are going to make it less likely that someone's going to want to be non-monogamous with you. If someone is very strongly religious, it's not as likely. If someone has more conservative beliefs about gender roles or about how families should be structured or about societal roles, that person is less likely to be open to non-monogamy. You know, think about the things that make people more open to new ideas because the more open someone is to new ideas, the more open they'll be to this idea. And be prepared for rejection. I mean, yeah. rejection is a reality of any dating or relationship. Every relationship you have is going to end, whether in a breakup or in death. Those are the only two options. That's true. Right? There's, there's not a single relationship that doesn't end unless you die first. So unless that's really your hope, you're going to have to get used <laughs> to losing relationships. And I think when we think about rejection... What hurts a lot of us deeply about rejection is the fear that it means that we're unlovable. Mm. Almost everyone I see, many of my friends, lots of my clients, people in the communities that I work in, everyone has at one point or another worried that there is something about them that makes them unlovable, that makes them just never going to be the person who finds connection, that there is something that is so horribly wrong about them, they are never going to be loved. And that's not true. People loved Ted Bundy. I can guarantee you're nowhere near as bad as Ted Bundy was. No matter what your quirks, no matter what your weirdness is, you're not a serial killer. So I'm sure you're going to be fine. And you're not going to be everyone's flavor. You know, I love, there's a, an ice cream restaurant here in Portland called Salt and Straw, and they have really weird flavor combinations. They'll do like olive oil, rosemary ice cream. And that is not the flavor for everybody. I like that flavor. So it's the right flavor for me. 
the more uncommon your flavor is, the fewer people are going to be into your flavor. But boy, howdy, when you find people who are into your flavor, they are going to be into it. So just hold on to that. Like, know that the people who are into your flavor are out there. You just may have to look a little harder. So definitely not a good idea for people to start to compromise their desire to be in a non-monogamous relationship just because they're really into someone who will not um, even bend in that direction. Yeah. And I think, so this is an important thing to talk about is that there are some people who I believe are non-monogamous as an orientation. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I just, I just don't monogamy. I've never monogamied well. It has never been a strong suit of mine. I've tried to force myself into it and that has gone poorly. So like I am just a non-monogamous person by orientation. That doesn't mean that I couldn't one day choose to be monogamous. It means that that's highly unlikely to be something that I find appealing or satisfying. Mm -hmm. I think there are some people who are monogamously oriented who like when they're with someone, they just don't even like have a desire to date or hook up with other people. They're just in that. And then I think there's a whole mess of people in the middle who, depending on the situation, depending on who they're with, could be more monogamous, could be more non-monogamous. And I think it's important to be honest with yourself about where you are on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I met someone fantastic and I was super into them, falling super hard, and they were like, look, I'll only date you further if we can be monogamous. If I try to lie to myself and say, oh, maybe I could do it, that's not going to go well for either of us. Right. I'm going to probably end up feeling resentment and anger. I'm going to feel stifled and frustrated. And they're going to feel worried that the other shoe is going to drop any minute. If you're someone in the middle who can do monogamy, if it's the right person and can do non-monogamy in other situations, be honest about that too. There's no right or wrong place to be on that spectrum. The right place to be is the one where you are and the right way to be is honest about it. Oh, wow. That's amazing advice. And I, I think like you were right from what you said before, uh, people who are just starting to enter relationships are not always honest, not just with their partner, but with themselves about what it is that they're looking for. Some people are just kind of, I don't want to say this word because it has a lot of negative connotations, but, but yeah, desperate uh, to be in a relationship and to identify themselves as being with someone or some people uh, that they're not alone. There's nothing wrong with being alone either until you find exactly the, what the situation um, and the person that works for you and what you really want. And I think a lot of us identify aloneness in a funky way because most of the people who I know who think of themselves as alone or when I have times where I'm thinking of myself as alone, I've still got a ton of friends. Like there's still people I can call and talk to. I'm not actually that alone. Um, I think The thing about desperation is that often when we're coming from a place of desperation, we're coming from a place of lack. Mm -hmm. That what we're focused on, what we're noticing is what we don't have. And it's like trying to pour from an empty cup. If your cup is already empty, you've got nothing to pour. You can't contribute to anything else. You need to fill up your own cup first. Fill up your own cup. Find out what you love. Find out what makes you happy. Spend tons of time with friends. Pick up hobbies that you may have neglected during your last relationship. Uh, learn to cook if you don't already have, know how to cook or like learn how to cook better. Take up a craft to create something physical. Most of us, our jobs these days are so cerebral and ephemeral. Like you're not creating anything tangible. Mm-hmm. Create something tangible in the world. You know, find things to do that make you happy and that fill you up without anybody else. Because then you're going to have so much more to offer as a partner. None of us wants a partner whose entire life is us. Because goodness, that's a lot of work. 
Yeah. Like having to be their only friend, their only confidant, the only person who they eat with, the only person who holds their hand when they're sad, the only person they could call if they're sick. Like that's a lot of freaking pressure. Yeah. To be the everything for someone. And so since I know that I don't feel like I can be that for someone else, I don't want anyone else to feel like they have to be that for me. I want to fill my own cup. If I'm feeling lonely, I go hang out with friends or I talk to them on the internet. If I'm feeling bored, I go into my craft stash and pull out some yarn and start something new. Or I find a cool movie that's playing that I want to go see. Or I go back dancing because I haven't been dancing in forever. You know, there's so many things that you can do with your life that fill you up that aren't about another person. On the flip side, I get it. Like it's different to not have a meaningful romantic partnership, especially if most of your friends do. But the more you focus on what you don't have, the less appealing you're going to be to other people and the less happy you're going to be within yourself. We all want to be with the people who are happy and who look like they're having fun and who are easy to be around because they're there for themselves. And that makes it so that they can be present for us. You have to take care of yourself if you're ever going to be there for someone else. Oh, that's great advice. And I think that works across the board, no matter what kind of orientation or, you know, relationship type you want to be in. Uh, those are, that's just really good practical advice. And we're going to have a little bit more advice too from Dr. Liz right before, uh, right after this little break. And speaking of filling your own cup and fulfilling a lot of different things that might, you know, make you uh, happy and feeling good meeting people with like minds. Join over 300 SDC members for an erotic escapade on the island of Greece. Of, wow, I'm going to start that all the way over, all the way over. Okay, wow. That's a, that was a tongue twister there. Yep. <laughs> that happens. Oof. Okay. And join over three... Join over 300 SDC members for an erotic escapade on the island of Crete this May. Indulge in five nights of passion at this all-inclusive Grecian playground with daily parties at our clothing optional pools, a 24-hour inside and outside playroom, and exclusive SDC theme night parties. As you meet sexy, like-minded people in the lifestyle, you'll get pampered by the hotel's five-star service with world-class spa, multiple bars, rooftop restaurant, and nightclub to satisfy all your desires. Join us from May 8th to the 13th for this divine Greek adventure. Book your rooms now at sdc.com. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos, and keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. The Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network is where you can build a new vocabulary to talk about sex in a healthy, loving, and productive way. Discover more about yourself and your relationships from our amazing sex experts who can't wait to share their information with you. You'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, and so much more on the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Listen, learn, and live sexy. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. 
Welcome back to SDC Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships, and the author of the book, Building Open Relationships. So right before the break, we were having a great conversation about a variety of different things that make up a healthy relationship and also help you find out how you can enter into a relationship in a healthy way, whether it's non-monogamy or monogamy, and filling your cup first. So becoming a whole of your own before trying to explore outside of yourself to have to complete yourself, quote, uh, (laughs) with somebody else or other, you know, more. Or multiple people. Yeah. So speaking of really good advice that you have to give, uh, recently in, you know, the lifestyle, I've noticed that there are a lot of people who are trying to, um, who have discussed it amongst themselves and who've decided to take a step back from the lifestyle. So we're talking about not just, uh, not just couples, but also individuals who have been in the lifestyle, maybe for varying lengths of time, who are deciding to kind of take that step back. You know, why would that be a good idea for a person or a couple to do that? Is that a common thing to happen? I mean, I think this is a common thing that happens across all relationship types. There are plenty of people who, after a really rough breakup, decide not to date for a while. Mm -hmm. There are people who um, become what we call, in my community, polysaturated. So they have all of the partners that they have the time and energy for, and they decide not to bring in any new folks. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that make sure that when you're making these decisions, you're making them from a genuine space of like what is best for you rather than a space of like fear or worry. Cause I think a lot of folks when stuff starts getting really real and non-monogamy want to like rein it back in and just close it back up. Um, <laughs> right. Like let's just slam it closed. We'll pretend it never happened. And that's not something real. That doesn't work. You can't just pretend it never happened. If you're going to be, going from a non-monogamous relationship to a more closed or monogamous relationship, you need to put as much care and delicacy into that as you did into your process of opening up. Mm -hmm. This isn't as simple as we go back to what we always did before. You've changed. Who you are has changed. Who your relationship is has changed. All of that has already changed. So there's no way to go back to the exact same relationship you had before you were in the lifestyle or doing non-monogamy. That's a good point. You need to renegotiate again and talk about, is this a shift that we're both doing because we're both kind of tired and we need some space from it? Is this a shift we're doing because our relationship is having a lot of trouble and we want to focus on each other? Is this a shift we're doing because one partner wants it and the other is not so sure? Be super honest and upfront about what this is. If it's going to be temporary, you need to both be on board that it's temporary and set fixed points at which you check in. I think a lot of us... We say, okay, well, this is just going to be temporary. I'll let you know when we're ready. That's not helpful because (laughs) what that does is it gives both of you a lot of space to either worry or to put it off. I recommend that if you're making a decision that is temporary, look at like a three-month check-in or a six-month check-in at most because if what it's about is work that each of you or one of you or both of you needs to do and there's not a deadline, you're not going to do it. Humans are naturally procrastinators for the most part. (laughs) And especially if the work is hard and challenging and tough, you're not going to do it unless there's a reason you have to soon. Plus, if it's something that one partner is pushing for more than the other, having distinct points at which there are going to be check-ins can help them feel less anxious and worried that it's going to become permanent by default. So make sure you set clear parameters, clearly negotiate, 
and be super honest with yourself and all of your partners about what it is and why you're doing it. Oh, that's great advice. And I know that you have tons of great worksheets and um, a lot more great advice in your book, Building Open Relationships. So let's talk about that. After this, how can people uh, find your book and reach out to you? Absolutely. So my main website is drlizpowell.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z-P-O-W-E-L-L.com. You can also find my book at buildingopenrelationships.com. Um, it's available as a PDF or ebook or as a physical copy. Uh, I'm working on the audiobook, so that will be out hopefully in not too long. Um, and I also have a series of YouTube videos. I have videos up on SDC. You can find me on Twitter at sexpausepsych. So that's S E X P O S P S Y C H. Uh, and on Facebook, I have a page for my business that's uh, facebook.com slash sex positive psych. Awesome. I, I already stalk you on all of those different avenues. So I, yeah, I will continue stalking you uh, because yeah. you have a lot of great content and a great perspective on non-monogamy and a lot of different things too. So uh, definitely everybody who's listening, check it out and check out her book too. It's definitely worth a good read. Thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate you being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. We're going to have to do another part two uh, in a little while. Absolutely. (laughs) And thanks to everybody who listened to this today. And you can catch my show every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Don't forget, you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and create moments at sdc.com. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on SDC Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. Hey, sexy people. If you're ready to start your sexual evolution, we've got some amazing prizes to give away. Some of the great prizes include Womanizer, the most advanced pleasure product for stronger, longer, and more intense orgasms. SDC.com is giving away a lifetime membership to the sexiest online community of open-minded people. Touch from experience, warm. It warms your personal lube, then automatically dispenses it with a wave of your hand. And we can't forget, Throws of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket. Keep your bed dry no matter how wet it gets. For your chance to win one of these amazing prizes, simply send us an email at info with the word contest in the subject line. Your name will be entered into the weekly drawing and remember to visit our website regularly for a list of the winners and more information about all the amazing prizes and sponsors. Go to the sexylifestyle.com contest page and enter as often as you like. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. 